Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Kind of ironic that this week, um, like we're in this series called Beautiful Resistance, and this week, you know, we're talking about resisting apathy, and I thought, my goodness, um, of all the weeks that I could be talking about resisting apathy, the Battle of Alberta <laughs> is, is the least apathetic thing that happens in the entire nation, okay? Now, I gotta tell you a funny story. We have a friend who moved to Canada a couple years back from another country, it's not a hockey country, it's more like a soccer country. Any rate, knows nothing about you know, all this stuff. Lives in Ontario. And then she starts seeing on social media, Battle of Alberta, oh, what's this all about, you know? And, and then she sees these churches that were making fun of us, because we had a little thing going, you know? And uh, don't worry, we got in, we got our share of digs in too. But she actually contacted my wife, concerned, <laughs> for us, like, oh, what's happening? These people are picking on you. They're making fun of you. What, what is this Battle of Alberta thing going on? We thought it was absolutely hilarious, but uh, nevertheless, I'll, I'll tell you how I feel about it. I think Stanley Cup is here. Battle of Alberta is here, okay? <laughs> it's like, I don't even care. We won this. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I can... For those of you from Calgary, you're welcome. Okay, there we go, all right. Oh my goodness, you distracted me, where was I? Okay, I digress, or I was digressing, I'll get back on track. I heard this funny little story, they did a survey on a university, and they asked students, what was the biggest problem facing society right now? Was it ignorance, or was it apathy? And the answer was, I don't know, and I don't care. (laughs) Some of you will get that sometime after lunch. But you know what? Unfortunately, that's probably a pretty accurate answer for a lot of things. I don't know, and I don't care. And, And typically, we only come to really care if what's going on is affecting us or hurting us, you know, in some way. It's kind of like, well, it's kind of like the sound man at church. Who's the sound man at church? I don't know and I don't care. Get feedback on a microphone? You want to know because you care. And that's just the way it is. When it's affecting you, all of a sudden you wake up to, hey, we got to find out what's going on, going on here. Um, there's a quote that's uh, a very relevant quote. Um, I, I don't know. The author is disputed. It's not clear who the author is. Uh, who's the author? I don't know and I don't care. At any rate, uh, but I'll give you the quote. It goes like this. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But the question is this, why would good men or good women do nothing? The root of this inaction is something called apathy. Apathy. Apathy is the absence of or the suppression of passion, emotion, and excitement. It's this lack of interest in or concern 
for things that others might find very moving and very exciting. In regards to a relationship with Jesus, it's when we lack concern for what God says he's concerned about. Now, why do we do that? What is it that's going on behind the scenes that would allow apathy to come into a person's life? Well, once you stop expecting change, apathy can become your coping mechanism. In other words, if I'm not in a place where it's like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the situation, I'm gonna deal with this in my life, I'm expecting God to help me you know, through dealing with this, you know what? Apathy can just be a coping mechanism where it's like, well, I'm just gonna choose not to care. I'm just gonna choose not to be bothered about it. I'm just gonna let it go. You just accept things the way that they are. You see your problems now as your new normal. The idea of change, well, I don't think that's ever gonna happen and you've lost hope and now you default to apathy in order to cover that. Accepting things in life the way they are even though they are not the way they should be. And you've become more convinced in your circumstances remaining or getting worse than you are convinced in your capacity to do something about it or in God's capacity to work with you to do something about it. And because of apathy, people just don't try anymore. They just accept it. You know, this can extend into any area of life. You can be that person who's like, yeah, my job sucks, but it pays the bills. I don't care. You can have a marriage where it's like, yeah, marriage is okay. Nothing's being thrown across the kitchen at me. It's okay, it's okay. Oh, kids, well, you know, kids will be kids and then it becomes teenagers will be teenagers and adults will be adults. Well, when do you, when do you speak up? Well, you know, why would I bother? My vote won't make any difference. Yeah, especially if you don't ever give it. But on the faith side of life, because of apathy, you can accept spiritual mediocrity as being your normal. Yeah, my walk with God, it's just the same old, same old, you know, go to church, go on with life, try to be a good person, blah, blah, blah. Hardly ever pray, don't really read the Bible at all. Never share my faith with anybody. You know, I'm just constantly yielding to the same temptations, you know, the same issues in life. But Jesus will forgive me, so that's all right. That's called spiritual mediocrity, what I just described to you. And unbelief can cause you to settle when you should fight and take back your life, the life that God wants you to have. Unbelief can cause you to accept things the way that they are instead of changing them and believing for them to be what God says they can be. Unbelief, though, is the path of least resistance. You see, if I choose unbelief and apathy, I don't have to do anything. I just make my statement, well, I don't really believe things will change anyway, so I don't care. Path of least resistance. Whereas if I'm gonna accept the word of God and the promises of God and believe for things to change in my life, how many know you're gonna have to fight for it? Something called the fight of faith will be at least what you'll be doing where you are praying, you are grabbing God's promises and you are doing all that you can to see a breakthrough happen in your life. Listen, apathy is deceptive. It's deceptive. There's a scripture in Revelations chapter three. It's one of the letters written to the seven churches and, and uh, in verse 17, it says this about that church. It says, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He's describing these people as having a, a material condition, but then a different spiritual condition. 
How many Christ followers, how many Christians can say, man, I'm having a good life. I love my job. You know, I'm financially secure. You know, I can afford all the needs of life. I got a home, I got a car, I have vacations, I have favorite restaurants, so I can buy hockey tickets, I have a big screen TV, uh, skip the dishes, you know, all the basic needs of life, right? <laughs> By the way, the Bible does not hate on people working hard and being prospered. It doesn't. Prosperity isn't a problem. Like one guy said, he says, having money isn't a problem, but if money has you, that is a problem. Now, what happens is this. You can be blessed in the, in the material things of life and, and even in your relationships with people around you and all the rest, but you can also have an equation that goes like this. Well, God has blessed my life, you know, with, with so many things. Um, my walk with the Lord must be good because of the blessing that I'm experiencing in my life. And you can have all of that blessing and yet spiritually be in the condition described in Revelation that is desperately in need of help. You can have friends and family who have no interest in the things of God. They're far from God, but you don't really care. You can have areas of compromise that you're just compromising and overlooking. You can lack a hunger to pray to read the word, to be in church services and to be growing your relationship with God. But that's just the way it is. And you can live in this, this state of spiritual apathy that isn't, isn't sending a message that everything is all good. And, and here's the question. Can you look back on days in your past when you were once fired up for Jesus, you were enthusiastic, you loved the church, you loved being in services, you were a habitual reader of scripture, you shared Christ with everyone, you prayed for everything. And if that is now missing, the biggest concern is this. Does it bother you? Because if it doesn't, that's what apathy looks like. Apathy caters to the, something the Bible calls the flesh or sinful nature. What the Bible describes is when it uses the word flesh in contradiction to the word spirit, what it's talking about is our humanity. You know, the appetites of our, just our humanity. But here's the problem. Humanity has been corrupted by sin. And so even though we can have like normal appetites, so to speak, about our, our life, normal ambitions, we can also have them go off in a wrong direction because of sin or what the Bible calls our sinful nature. And when you've lost your passion in your relationship with Jesus and, and his kingdom, it's just easier to be lazy, to be slothful, to be a quitter, to not fight for what's right, to, to choose comfort over sacrifice, to choose what is easy over what is effective, to accommodate things that you should eliminate and to choose compromise over conviction. In fact, you can actually see that in the workplace. You can watch people who are passionate about their job and the energy and the, the amount of diligence that they put in, the effort that they'll put in, the joy that they have in doing, but watch them lose that and become apathetic and you'll see all those characteristics set in and how they relate at work. To let our sinful, selfish nature have its way instead of exercising self-control is what happens with apathy. It's just easier to follow a corrupt appetite over choosing holiness. And when the scriptures talk about the flesh, it's referring to these appetites, these desires that we naturally feel as human, but they are corrupted by a sinful world. And this is how it describes it. Galatians chapter five and verse 19. 
When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you cater to the flesh, you will lose your spiritual passion. You don't have to become evil. You don't have to become someone that, that everybody hates. And even as you look through that list, you know, it, it, it's got uh, you know, varying degrees of, I, I suppose, what we might consider to be evil or very, very wrong. And yet some of the things that hits on are very popular. Things like pornography. That's a, that's a sexual immorality that's huge in our world. Hostility and quarreling. How many families are full of hostility and quarreling? Jealousy. All of these different things. You don't have to, though, become, you know, an absolute, like, evil, you know, what we would consider you should be a prison kind of person to lose your spiritual passion. Just get lazy. Just put other activities of life as a priority over your walk with God. Just drop your spiritual habits for worldly pursuits, and you'll kill your passion because of giving in to the desires of the flesh. Jesus talked about the desire for other things can enter in and choke out your spiritual life. You see, the flesh just wants other things besides God. That, that's, that's what happens with our humanity. That's what the, the flesh does. It's like set your alarm 15 minutes earlier for tomorrow because you want to get up and pray and read your Bible and you'll discover what your flesh is. It'll be that part of you that says, go for the snooze button go for the snooze button, but you, something in your heart's like, man, I, I, I've got enough time. I can I, go for the snooze button. You'll, you'll be in that struggle, I promise you. Ultimately, apathy makes us content when we should be discontent, comfortable with what we should be uncomfortable with, and passive when what we need is to be active and aggressive. Galatians chapter 5.16 embellishes on this whole uh, competition, so to speak, that's happening between the spirit and the flesh. He says, I say, be guided by the spirit and you won't carry out selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do what you want to do. The scriptures are telling us that we have two competing forces that are happening in our life. We've got the spirit and we've got the flesh. We've got the spirit, we've got the flesh. And they're, they're like a teeter-totter. And so what happens is this, they're, they're not both up at the same time. When our spiritual passion is up, guess what? Our sinful nature has been put in its place. Our sinful desires have been dealt with. We, we have disciplined the flesh. That's why our spiritual passion is up. But if, if we let the flesh keep getting its way, this happens. Our sinful desires are undisciplined. They rise up in our life. Guess what? Your spiritual passion will fall. Matthew 24, 12 explains it this way. Because, of law, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness abounds, love goes cold. Now, most of our culture 
doesn't take time to examine and evaluate their desires. They just go with it. They're quite the opposite. Culture, our culture, wants to affirm every and any desire you have when the Bible would teach you to discern them, not affirm them. Our culture assumes that every desire is legitimate and deserving our full support. That, and we're driven by these two questions. How do I feel and what do I want? But the Bible calls that lawlessness when it's not discerned and we're allowed to uh, take a position that says, whatever I feel, whatever I want, I'll just go ahead and do it. And the scripture says, yeah, that's called the broad path that leads to destruction. Culture says things like this. Oh, you should be true to yourself. Jesus teaches you should examine yourself. So what spiritual discipline Oh, before I get ahead of myself, let me explain a little bit more of this teeter-totter thing, how it works out. Let's suppose we had a campfire right here on the stage. I know, that would be weird. What a spot to put it. Smoke alarms would go off. It'd be really hectic. But for the sake of illustration, I got myself a campfire. Here's the deal. If we want to put that fire out, do we take away the flames? No. What do we do? We cover it with something else. We cover it in water, or we might cover it in sand. And what happens? The flames go out. That's what's happening in that tension between the flesh and the spirit. You just keep choosing the wrong things, you'll put your fire out. So what spiritual discipline has God given us that will do the opposite? That'll put boundaries on our desires of our flesh while turning up the heat of our passion towards the things of God. What spiritual discipline confronts apathy and restores spiritual passion? Well, it's fasting. Crickets, I hear crickets. It's fasting. Now, if you're like, oh, wrong service to come to, listen. Next week, we're doing feasting, so it'll all balance out. It'll be good. You'll be good. Oh, fasting. Is that like where you stop going on social media for three hours straight? No. Is that, do you mean that's like I'm not going to watch Netflix this weekend? No. Do you mean I'm going to skip McDonald's and replace it with Wendy's for a week? No, that's not fasting. That's not fasting. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Biblical fasting is about uh, taking a time to pray, to seek God, where you intentionally decide, I'm gonna take in liquids, I'm not gonna eat solid foods. I'm gonna actually discipline my appetite. Or you could be doing a partial fast where you're giving up some foods over a more extended period of time, but nothing turns up the heat on your spiritual passion and accelerates the work of the Holy Spirit quite like fasting and prayer and being intentional with controlling and confronting the desires of the flesh. You know, we just talked about that whole spirit, flesh, um, tension. And fasting breaks through apathy because fasting confronts the dominance of the flesh over our spirit. If you want to see your spiritual life tank, then just let your fleshly appetites continue to have their way. Don't confront your thought life. 
Whatever your mind goes to, whatever lustful, greedy, anger, bitter thought, ah, just live with that. Just don't confront it. Don't stop it. Don't, don't control it. Don't deny yourself. Just do whatever you want. If you feel it, you should just go ahead and have it. If you want it, you should go for it. If it feels good, you should do it. You should just focus on getting your own way. The scripture tells us that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are constantly at odds with each other. And when we let the flesh win, guess what? The spirit loses. But what does it lose? What does it lose? First of all, it loses its control. It loses its influence that it's meant to have in your life. But here's the other thing. The spirit loses its desire, loses its enthusiasm. It loses its passion. It loses vision. It loses faith. It loses intimacy. In other words, as this is increasing and the spirit is losing, the motivation to live in the spirit of God is leaving you. To put a fire out, as I said earlier, you don't just pull away the flames, you cover it with something else. And that spiritually is what happens in our life when we just keep choosing the flesh, keep choosing laziness, keep choosing distractions, keep choosing other things, you'll put the fire out. Here's the other thing that happens. And that is we give up on authenticity for a substitute. The Holy Spirit is meant to work in our life and there's very specific things in scripture that you can read about where God says, if you'll, if you'll pray, this is how I'll answer. If you'll seek me, if you'll get in the word, if you'll renew your mind, if you'll you know, put Jesus first, there's all these different promises in scripture. But when we let the flesh lead instead of the spirit, we can end up with a substitute instead of the authentic. So for instance, you can be like stressed out Oh man, I got so many things to do. My list is longer than the time in the day to do it. All the rest of it. There's so much going on in my life. Well, you could pray and you could, as the scripture says, cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. And then it says the peace of God that passes all understanding will fill your life. Stress goes, peace comes. You could pray or you could just have a drink, a substitute. You know, when I'm upset about things, I could take a moment and turn on a worship song and maybe read the scripture a little bit. I, I could do something spiritual that would, that would settle my heart. Or I could have a jelly donut. <laughs> comfort food. Isn't that what we call it? It's not about comforting your stomach. It's about comforting your emotions. It's the substitute for what God has provided. Oh, but pastor, that's okay. Because I'm going to pray and cast all them calories out before I eat it. How's that working for you? You know, I could, I could seek the Lord for God's plan for my life as I make decisions, or I could just go ahead and make decisions and then pray that God will bless the ones I'm making. Listen, the flesh will choose a substitute over the authentic. And what are you left with? Apathy, the absence of spiritual passion. Richard Foster said, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting is all about shifting your focus from your body to your spirit, from the flesh to the heavenly father. Fasting reinforces our true desires and reorients us to the presence of God. Fasting is not how we spiritually impress God. It's not like, okay, I'm gonna take a day and, and fast and then I'm gonna pray and tell the Lord, hey, I found this thing in the Bible and, and like they did it then and I'm doing it now. You, you should be impressed, God. I'm impressed. My wife's impressed. You should be impressed. No, it doesn't impress God. Fasting isn't twisting God's arm. 
It's not like, well, God, I've been praying for this thing and now I'm gonna add fasting to it. You're really gonna get yourself in a hold here. You're gonna have to come through. No, that's not what fasting does. Fasting isn't necessary suffering to invoke God's pity. Well, if I can make God feel sorry for me, maybe then he'll answer my prayers. No, that's, that's not what fasting is all about. Fasting, though, does this. It sets the stage for God by diminishing the flesh, bringing the flesh down, and accentuating the spirit. Now, why is fasting so important to your walk with God? I've got three points now that we're done the introduction. Here we go. Don't worry, I usually finish on time. Oh, that's a lie. Let's keep moving. Any rate, number one, your struggle is spiritual in nature. Your struggle is spiritual in nature. Ephesians chapter six says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen, there's an enemy and it's not a person. Your enemy is the devil who works against the purposes of God in your life, in your family, and in your church. And if you're in a spiritual slump, if you're weary and well-doing, if you've lost passion and enthusiasm in the things of God, if you're not concerned about those who are far from God, if you've just become okay with things not being okay, then I would submit to you to take a day and fast and pray because that's not okay. That's a spiritual condition that God wants to change and reignite passion in your life. Your biggest struggle in life, by the way, will be with yourself, not somebody else. Your biggest struggle isn't gonna be with circumstances either. Your biggest struggle will be with you. I have to work more on me than on anything else in life in order for me to do well in my walk with God. And when we fast and pray, we deal with the spiritual opposition that we have to our walk with the Lord and to the purposes of God for our life. You know, we often pray for God to move in society, but the first place he wants to uh, move is in the hearts of his people. Number two. There are things in life that are only changed with prayer and fasting. There are things in life that are only changed with prayer and fasting. Maybe you've heard this comment said before, well, faith can do what wisdom alone can't do. Faith can do what wisdom alone can't do. In other words, even though I might have all the smarts, even though I might have all the understanding, I still have to have a faith towards God because sometimes I just need to, to believe that God's gonna move and put my faith in God's promises and pray those promises. And, and so it's not just about me being smart enough, it's about me seeing God put his hand on what I'm doing. Faith can do what wisdom alone can't do. But here's the other side of it. Wisdom can do what faith alone can't do. And I'm sure you've seen people that are going around talking about you know, this is what I'm trusting God for. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm believing for. But they're stupid. And they just keep making dumb mistakes and dumb decisions. And it's like, it doesn't matter how much faith you have in what God's gonna do. You're constantly sabotaging it because you're not smart. You need to learn some things. You need to get some wisdom. It's not gonna be enough that you just, you know, pray and believe some scriptures and you're gonna see everything come together in your life. You might wanna read a few books, listen to a few podcasts, talk to some people that have been there and done that and get some wisdom in your life because wisdom can do what faith alone cannot do. But here's another part of this. Fasting and prayer 
can do what nothing else can do. I'm not saying, oh, I'm gonna fast and pray and, and I'm, I'm not gonna you know, learn anything. I'm just gonna stay dumb and God's gonna make up for it with my fasting and prayer. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there can be moments and issues and spiritual conditions that you're struggling with in life that you need to see God move in those things and you need to fast and pray because that's gonna be your breakthrough. There's a story in the scripture of a boy, Mark chapter nine, verse 17, we pick up on it. And it was the, the man is telling, telling Jesus what's going on. It says, then one in the crowd answered and said, teacher, I, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He's gnashing at the teeth. He becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they would cast it out, but they could not. So here's this son. He's got a spiritual problem. It's not about his circumstances. It's not about other people. It's not about money. It's a spiritual problem in its nature, but it's impacting everything else going on in his life. The disciples try to get him free. They're using what they know. They're doing what they would usually do. It's not wrong, but it's also not working. And then Jesus ministers to this child. He gets set free, comes into his right mind, the whole bit. Mark chapter nine, verse 28 says, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Often what needs to change is spiritual in nature before you'll see a change in the physical and relational dimensions of life. And for this reason, there's a this kind that could be changed, but only by prayer and fasting. What is it in your life that seems to be stubborn? It's not moving, it's, you're doing everything you can, but it's not changing. And, and try as you may have, the problem is still there. You know, the, the situation hasn't changed, maybe the person, the relationship hasn't changed. You just seem to be stuck in the same, same sort of circumstance of life. And just like this boy, every once in a while, it kind of manifests itself and messes things up for you once again. Maybe it's this kind, but we have good news for you, this kind, does come out through prayer and fasting and can be changed through that. Okay, number three. This is one of these messages that's really fun to preach because you're never gonna hear anybody amen. Okay, <laughs> moving right along. Or it'll come out like a golf club, amen. Yeah. Number three. You need to pray and fast to get a breakthrough. You need to pray and fast for a breakthrough. Isaiah 58, six through eight says, is this not the fast which I choose? Now look at the description of what happens in it. To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will be speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This whole passage of scripture is describing this breakthrough factor that happens. It's happening out of a fast, out of fasting and prayer, loosening bonds of wickedness, things that seem to just be tied to you, undoing bands of a yoke, oppressed go free, breaking every yoke, all, all the rest of it, all these breakthroughs and they're all coming and they're all stemmed out of seeking God 
in the context of fasting and prayer. And I wanna leave you with three, three different things for you to consider in application of this message today. The first one is this, develop a personal fasting habit for your own relationship with the Lord. In other words, you decide what you're gonna do. It's between you and God. Uh, Jesus made this comment in Matthew. He said, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast. In other words, it should be a part of, it's a spiritual discipline that should be a part of your life that from time to time, you are intentional about fasting and praying. Here's the second thing. Fast and pray for your family. It's a story of a, of a young man who's a teen years. At any rate, it, he was raised in a Christian home. His father was a pastor, great church, all the rest of it. But he just seemed to be taken with rebellion for a season of his life where he just decided, I'm just gonna go do my own thing. I'm not living according to all these you know, morals and values that I've been brought up with. I'm just gonna go do my own thing. And, and so he rebels. And um, what happens in the process of that is that his father decides, I'm gonna pray and fast for my son. I'm not gonna just let this go, let this happen. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray and fast. I'm gonna believe God for a breakthrough and a turnaround in his life. Well, this rebellion lasted for about six months and finally, just like the scripture says in the Gospel of Luke, he came to his senses, returned home, returned to the life that he was raised in and the values and morals and, and, and relationship with God and all the rest of it. Well, that young man went on to become a pastor and he's actually the author of this book that we've been using in the background of this series, John Tyson. But he had a dad who would pray and fast for him. Here's the third, third one. Fast for your church. Our mission needs our prayers. A move of God doesn't just happen, and certainly in the context of apathy or complacency, but in the context of hunger and of passion. And so as a church, from time to time, we need to pray and fast, not just once a year, but from time to time. And those who are members of our church know that we kick off January with a prayer and fasting time. But this coming June 15th, the Wednesday before Father's Day, we're setting that aside as a day to pray and fast. And I wanna encourage you to do your part in it. You may choose to pray on your lunch hour. Take, go home and pray before you break your fast at supper and take time to pray for Father's Day. Let's believe God for an impact like we've never had before on this coming Father's Day as we pray and fast and expect God to move in a great way. Let's stand as we take time to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for this service. I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for this spiritual discipline. Not the easiest one in your word, but so important. And Father, I pray that as we engage in the spiritual discipline, may we live in the fruit of it. May we live in the fruit of breakthrough in our life. May we live in the fruit of, you know, things that need to change, changing finally. Lord, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting and that's our promise. And I, I just thank you, God, as we seek you, as we get intentional about this spiritual discipline, that we're also gonna see our, our walk with you get on fire for Jesus like never before. And so Father, I thank you for each and every one of us looking at how to exercise this in our life and to see God move in a beautiful way in Jesus' name. You know, with our heads bowed, I wanna pray one more prayer because 
You know, you, you may be here and you've been kind of watching this whole Christianity thing and especially as we're having baptisms, you know people that their lives are being changed because not because they found a church, not because they found a religion, but because they found Jesus, a relationship with Jesus Christ. You think, how do I, how do I get in on this? What, what do I do? Well, let me tell you what you don't do, first of all. You don't decide, oh, I'm gonna be a Christian. Now I'm just gonna be a good person. I'm gonna try and live by the 10 commandments. I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna try to be better and that's what it's all about. No, that's not the path to a relationship with Christ. That is not what Christianity is all about. Yes, becoming a Christian does change our habits, but that's not how you start or continue for that matter in a relationship with God. The way that you embrace and, continue and get into a relationship with God is that you put your total trust in what Jesus did on the cross. It's not about us reaching up for him. He reached down for us. When Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins and rose from the grave, God opened up that opportunity to, for each of us to make our own personal decision, to say yes to Jesus' forgiveness, to say yes to a relationship with the Lord, to invite him into our, our life. And the Bible says this, that when you reach out in faith and ask for forgiveness, he gives it generously. When you say, I wanna start a walk with God, a relationship with God, God's answer to that is always yes. And you can begin to get to know Christ. You can begin to experience the Holy Spirit working in your life and what it means to really be a Christ follower, not just somebody with religious knowledge, but a person who's in a relationship with the living God. We're gonna pray a prayer right now that it is all about starting that relationship with the Lord. And if you're at that place where you're like, yes, this is what I wanna do. Well, we're gonna pray it with you and we just invite you to pray along with us. God will hear that prayer. He will answer that prayer. Today's your day to begin to know Jesus. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough that you came to earth. You died on a cross and you rose again to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my life and I confess you as my savior, the leader of my life and I'll follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.